Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Buzz and Biz, the success podcast. In this episode, we have Zach Perry from Glass Lake Holdings. Zach, thanks for hopping on. If we could get started, could you give us an intro, an overview of you and your entrepreneurial experience? Sure, Steve. Thanks for thanks for having me on today. It's always exciting to share a little bit of the story. Hopefully, somebody finds it useful. Um, you know, my latest role is uh, is Glass Lake Holdings, which is a holding company uh, to acquire businesses. And I think to understand how we got started doing this, you have to understand sort of how I got here. Um, so, without you know belaboring too much. Um, my background uh, started in investment banking. I spent about nine years working for Deutsche Bank. Um, and throughout that time, the key insight I had was that I always thought the management teams I worked with had the more interesting job. And that really sort of set off a curiosity in me and sort of what it would look like to build my own company. And I had this entrepreneurial ambition somewhere deep, deep down that I thought was uh, something that I might have to pursue one day. I just didn't really know what I wanted to pursue. I didn't have like a particular idea um, to go start a company. So in 2012, I, I resigned from, from Deutsche Bank. I left Wall Street and I helped another individual down in Austin, Texas. He was looking to start a business in the sort of consumer packaged goods space. And I got, a, I got a firsthand look at starting a company going from zero to one. And, you know, there were a lot of really interesting learnings there. Um, I could tell you, uh, you know, trying to translate some of the things that I learned on Wall Street to a small local business in Austin, Texas, there was a, a lot, uh, a lot that I had to come to terms with in terms of what a real small business felt like, operated like, um, the scale, you know, a lot more, a lot less zeros in terms of the size of the company we were talking about. Um, but we, you know, over a course of about two years, we sort of built a minimum viable business there. And I thought, you know, I, I, I learned a lot about it. It was in the craft beer space and, and that wasn't, uh, you know, an area that I thought I wanted to spend the rest of my career in, but it was a really interesting learning experience. Um, with that, I, I sort of took a few different learnings away, I guess, to distill it down. One was that I really enjoyed the small business environment. Um, but I, kind of confirmed. I didn't really like starting a business. I did not like going from the, going through that startup phase. Um, loved the, uh, loved the phase of sort of operating the business. Once we had a little bit more scale to it, we had customers, we had some employees, we had a product. Um, and that was, that was more fun. And so what I did, uh, was I went out, you know, two years later, I said, okay, this was, you know, really my partner at the time, it was really his passion to, to continue that business. And I thought he was the one that was best positioned to continue on with it. Um, and so I went out and tried to look for my next thing. And, and I knew I didn't want to go back to banking in addition to all the other things. And so I found the world of search funds and that was back in late 2014. And in 2015, I decided to raise a search fund. Um, and I'd never used, heard those two words used together, but once that became known to me, uh, it made so much sense. And, and really for anybody who's not familiar with search funds, um, the concept is that a, you know, an entrepreneur or a partnership of entrepreneurs go to a group of investors who will fund them to look for a business to buy and upon acquisition, um, you transition into the CEO role. 
So you get a real opportunity to kind of blend together a bunch of different concepts, right? One is sort of the sourcing and evaluation of companies. You learn a lot about lower middle market businesses. And we're talking about relatively small businesses here, you know, one to 5 million of EBITDA. Um, and so you learn the sort of a deal about the, the company evaluation, which I had, you know, some insight on for my days in banking. And then you get into the structuring of deals, which was something that was somewhat new to me. Um, and uh, then you go through a diligence process once you find these companies. And we go through a pretty exhaustive diligence process across the financials of the company, um, the industry, the technology stack, the um, legal structure and entities uh, of the business. And so you really go through a pretty exhaustive review of those businesses before you dive in. Um, and that all worked for me. And so at the end of 2017, we, uh, we began the, the process of acquiring a business called RRS Medical. And that is a business that we did acquire. And I transitioned to be the CEO of that business in 2018. Um, and that was an interesting business in the medical record space. And specifically what we did was work on the release of information. Um, and release of information is a very well-known term in that industry. But what it means is that we worked on behalf of healthcare providers and these healthcare providers house millions and millions of, of patient records, you know, according to all of their patients. And uh, all day long, people request medical records. And it's not really well understood who requests medical records. So to simplify it, there are, there are patients like you and I who request our own records. Um, there are health plans that request records for purposes of quality and audit reimbursement. Um, and then there are third parties that request medical records, commercial third parties. Um, and those are, those are legal firms that are pursuing litigation. Those are insurance companies that are pursuing underwriting. So I got very deep into that world uh, beginning in 2018 and ran that company uh, for uh, three and a half years. Uh, and along the way in 2020, I also became president of our industry association. So I learned a lot uh, about the industry. I learned a lot about running the company. It was Absolutely one of my favorite experiences in life um, was running that business and getting to know all of the people. There were about 70 people when I got there. And when I left, there were about 120. Um, and we acquired another business along the way, which was complementary to our business based just outside of St. Louis. So uh, we uh, sold that business in 2021 uh, for a number of reasons to a strategic uh, competitor based in Dallas. And my wife is from Texas. I haven't really spent much time talking about my, my family life, but I'm uh, married and have two young boys, ages one and four, which keeps me very busy uh, outside of my professional life. And so when we sold the company, it just so happened we were based in Pennsylvania at the time, just outside of Philadelphia. That's where the, the original business was. Um, so we acquired it and moved our family up there uh, from Dallas, where we were searching. And uh, so we sold the business in the summer of 2021. And by the end of 2021, we had uh, bought a house back here in the DFW area and relocated back here. I spent about one year in a transition role with the company that bought us, helping them run, uh, running their strategy. And uh, in July of 22, I decided to leave that business and transition to Glass Lake Holdings where I am now. And our, our goal at Glass Lake Holdings is really to continue on that path of acquiring businesses. Um, so uh, in this role, I've also partnered with a fellow, uh, a friend and somebody I met back in 2015, a fellow person who in the, in the search fund world. 
he went through uh, his own experience. He was able to acquire a business in uh, Richmond, Virginia in the security monitoring space. We became friends. Um, that professional friendship turned into a personal friendship that turned into sending family Christmas cards that you know kind of continued to grow over time. And we had this idea that it would be fun to partner one day if the opportunity were, were to present itself. And uh, lo and behold, when I told Brian that I was, you know, uh, selling my company, he said, we, we're under LOI to sell ours too. Uh, and so we had sort of independently uh, been, you know, looking for, uh, we had independently started a process of selling our companies unbeknownst to each other. And when that, when the stars were starting to align, we thought, man, we should really, we should really partner up and figure out something to do together. And so that's what Glass Lake Holdings is. Cool. And congrats. Thank you. So, so if you don't mind, I'd like to dive a little deeper into search funds. For those who may not you know, know or, or be that familiar with that you know, model, also uh, for someone with a business that may be looking to sell, you know, is there a, a platform? Uh, is it just a network? How does one enter this ecosystem, if you don't mind me asking. Sure. Um, I guess hearing the two words together for the first time was how I entered the ecosystem. Um, you know, search funds have been around for a long time, and they started in the 1980s at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. There's a professor, Irv Grosbeck, who um, who kind of developed and, and created this model, uh, which I touched on, so to, to revisit it. Um, it's a pool of investors who are, who are giving some seed capital to a entrepreneur who is then going to use that capital to search for a business to buy. Um, we then uh, transition into the, uh, the operator role once we acquire that business. And so it's really a form of lower middle market private equity. Um, so it's, uh, and I'm, and I'm simplifying it, but that's really what it is. Uh, it, it, um, it, so given it was born out of sort of the graduate school business at Stanford, it, it has tended to be a reasonably small network of people that were really aware of that, uh, of the concept. And it, and it would, you know, sort of Stanford School, GSB, the Harvard Business School. Um, but that has expanded over time. And it's, it's all of your top flight business schools across the country um, who are now, uh, I think, becoming aware of it and starting to invest in resources and education for, for the students to understand that it's a path. You know, when I graduated from undergrad in 2003, I just wanted to work on Wall Street. Um, really, tech was not, uh, tech was happening. I was sort of blind to it, but it was sort of in its earlier days. I just didn't, you know, maybe growing up in Connecticut, I, maybe if I'd been in California, I would have had more exposure to it. Um, so for me, it was finance and Wall Street, right? And then there was sort of consulting, which I, you know, that was sort of another big path for people. Um, and now you've got, I think, big technology companies that provide another path. And so, you know, for the, for the same people that are sort of thinking through uh, paths out of business school, am I going to go into banking, consulting, tech? What am I going to do? This is a very viable alternative. It's entrepreneurship, but it's not starting a company. And I think that's really appealing to a lot of people who they have this notion that they want to be an entrepreneur. They want to be their own boss. They want to build a company, but they don't necessarily have that one idea they want to go exercise. They don't have an idea they want to go get venture capital for and build a company. They want to go buy a company and it takes some of the risk out of 
the startup phase. You know, I don't have those stats to quote, but you know, we know that startups are really risky and most of them don't work. And this is a very different type of profile. You know, most search fund investments work. Um, there's not a lot of zeros in people's portfolios. Um, and of course, there's a big, dis- you know, there's a reasonable dispersion of outcomes, but, you know, these are tend to be businesses that, you know, based on a lot of, uh, a lot of the work we do to analyze these businesses, the fact that they've been running for a while, they've got customers, they've got product market fit, they tend to be safer investments. And then they're sort of upside from there in terms of the decisions you make in terms of growth levers. Um, so I say all that and that, that about you know, sort of discovering the search ecosystem. And then, you know, that, so it tended to be a lot of the MBA, you know, sort of crowd. It has expanded, you know, meaningfully. I, I personally never went back and got an MBA. Um, and there are a number of people now in the community, uh, uh, people that I meet who are not doing a uh, MBA program, are not coming to the search fund world directly out of an MBA program. Um, there's many people who are mid-career who are finding the, uh, the path. And, and there's another term that's used quite a lot these days called entrepreneurship through acquisition or ETA. That's another, another you know, acronym for the same thing. Um, and there's different paths now, right? There's, there's, the, um, there's the path of, of taking on a little bit of seed capital and looking for a company to buy. There's also people that have been working and they're mid-career and they're tired of, you know, whatever they're doing and they decide they want to be their own boss. They want to go run a company. And so they'll, they'll use their own money to uh, search for a company to buy. And it's sort of the difference there is sort of you have some funded search funds or, or, or and then you have some unfunded search funds or, or independent sponsors. Um, and so uh, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. The community has grown meaningfully. Uh, there are now a couple hundred, I think, search funds out uh, operating in the ecosystem looking for companies to buy um, with profiles all over the place in a good way, right? There's, there's, there's more people, people of different ages looking, looking. There's, there's more people, uh, there's more women uh, pursuing the path. There's just more people uh, from all walks of life that are trying to uh, understand and, and, and see if it's the right fit for them, which is great for the community. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Zach. So. I don't know if I mentioned, but I've been getting more into the angel community, which you know is an education experience in itself. I you mentioned your experience with uh, you know the uh, RRS and you know Glass Lake. Do you see both of those communities interacting? And what I'm trying to say here is, you know, the two of us met through a, a colleague, Peter. I get the sense that. From a search fund perspective, a fair amount of acquisitions uh, have been uh, grassroots, you know, startups or, or businesses that may not have a you know cap table per se, or, or you know, a, a other investors, right, or a lot of investors outside the founder and or the original team. Is that assumption that I'm having and trying to articulate here correct? And if not. Uh, could you elaborate? You know, do you think do you see that possible changing with the economy and everything? I, I a lot of questions. Bear with me, yeah. but I think you know where I'm trying to go here with the angels and the search funds. Yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, I think it's important to understand the types of businesses that search funds are typically looking for, um, which gets to the heart of some of your questions. So situationally, I think we're looking for companies that are primarily founder owned. Um, they're generally, 
I guess step step back one one level. Why is there a gap that search funds fill? Why is it even useful to the to the to the world of business to have search funds? Um, the the answer to that is there are a lot of businesses out there which are just too small for your typical private equity firm. So your typical private equity firm is looking for businesses that have north of five million dollars of annual cash flows. Um, you know, and if you're you know sort of doing the math, that means that's going to imply a much higher number of annual revenues. Um, and it's just going to uh, there are just less of those companies out there than there are companies doing five, ten million dollars of revenue, throwing off one to two million dollars of EBITDA per year. There's just there's a lot more of those companies than there are of those five million dollar plus companies. Um, and the second point is that a lot of them are owned, as you said correctly, by their original founder. And this is sort of a function of demographics, right? This is a baby boom dynamic. There are lots of businesses out there that are started by somebody who's now approaching retirement, who doesn't necessarily have a succession plan. Either they're, they, they don't have children or the children don't want to be the next person in the business to run that business. Um, they might not have the right person internally to run that business. Even if they have the right person internally, that person might not have the money to monetize this person's life's work, right? This is now their retirement nest egg. So, so the gap that search funds fill is sort of how do you take these really interesting businesses that are a little subscale for a private equity firm, but have really great bones and, uh, and continue on in these, uh, the growth that a lot of these companies can experience for many years to come. So that's really the problem that, that search funds try to solve. Um, so yeah, you do tend to find typically founder owner 100% or you know, maybe the founder is given a little bit of equity to some of his key people. That's a pretty typical profile. Um, generally, uh, as a rule, we're, we're the first institutional capital, and I use institutional sort of a lowercase i maybe, but um, <laughs> there's, there's generally no other sort of private equity firm there. There's not a venture firm there. There's generally, there can be some friends and family, you know, maybe, maybe that's analogous to Angel, um, but, uh, but yeah, typically that's not, that's not the profile of these businesses. Um, and so, you know, when we, when we put together uh the cap tables for these deals, we have what, you know, we have kind of have a, a syndicated equity structure where you're getting a group of uh, family offices, high net worth individuals. Um, there's now been more evolution towards a fund structure within the search fund world. Um, so you now have real funds that have their own limited partners um, because the asset class has just performed so well over time. Um, and so you do see more participation by a broader set of people. So I think there's people discovering the asset class. There's, you know, for, for high net worth individuals out there that are thinking about this is an interesting concept and they'd like to learn more. There is an opportunity to get involved and, and to find investing opportunities here. Um, again, the Stanford, I think another really great place to start for learning for anybody who's listening. If you go to the Stanford GSB site, you'll find something they put out. It's called a search fund primer. They also do every two years a study that publishes all of the data on returns and activity in the search fund space. So you can learn a lot about what historical returns have been, how uh, successful people are in finding a company to buy, because um, it's not every searcher doesn't find a company to buy. That's a, another dynamic that, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not easy to go find these companies. We're looking for really, really high quality businesses um, that fit a very particular situation. Um, and then you have to convince an owner that you're the right person to go run it. So it's not, 
it's not easy to buy these companies. Um, it is a heck of a, it's a heck of a ride uh, and I've enjoyed it, but um, all of that information is really helpful to anybody who wants to learn more about it. Cool. Well, Zach, thank you again. I believe you mentioned you signed a, a letter of intent LOI, I believe. So I'm looking forward to hearing about your next experience. I uh, hope everything goes to plan and um, looking forward to uh, follow-up conversations. Any uh, last words to the audience? No, but I'll just conclude by saying we are under LOI and another opportunity. We, uh, we're excited about that one. We hope to close it here in Q1. Um, I, I'm you know, just yeah, really yeah, excited to continue excited. building Glass Lake Holdings and what we're doing. Um, for anybody who wants to reach out to me just to maybe ask questions or learn more about um, the Search Fund world or learn more about what we're building at Glasslake, um, you can you can reach me at our websites, glasslakeholdings.com, and, and I'm on LinkedIn. And so always, uh, always open to chatting. And uh, if I can be a resource for anybody, please reach out. And Steve, thanks for having me again today. Thank you, Zach. All right, all. To our next episode, Buzz and Booze, the Success Podcast. Thank you for joining.